give you all a warm welcome to our service today. We'll begin by singing from Psalm 67 and sing psalms. God be merciful and bless us, shine upon us with your face, that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. We'll sing the whole psalm. Shall we pray? Lord, I give you thanks for the psalm we've just sung. Our psalm reminds us um, of who you are, the God who is merciful and who can bless us, and also the prospect that the psalmist had in mind uh, when he said, All the earth shall fear God. And in a certain sense, here we are centuries later in a country far away from where he was and we know that his, um, his uh, sentiments in the psalm have come true as the gospel has spread throughout the world and as we gather here today we know that we're just part of a, a global community uh, in which um, people from all over the world are gathering to give thanks to you for your mercy in a far um, more informed way than even the psalmist would have had uh, because we know so much about what Jesus said and did. And therefore, Lord, we come together to give you thanks for your amazing grace and mercy. Lord, we pray that as we gather here today, we get some fresh insights, even if it's a matter that we have heard many times before, that it would have a fresh imp impression on our hearts and on our minds, and that you would speak to us by the Holy Spirit, and that he would uh, just be uh, enlightening us and uh, stimulating us and working within us to make us more uh, devoted to you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would remember us as we gather here. Be with any who are not able to be with us today, we ask your blessing upon them, whatever that reason might be. Lord, we pray that you would um, bless your church throughout the world as we meet here in comfort. We think of those who, who perhaps are um, facing very more, much more trying circumstances. Uh, people who are worshipping you in communities where there's 
natural disasters having occurred and we ask Lord that you would uh, remember your people there and also those who are living where war is taking place and we just pray Lord that your protection will be given and there's numerous other kinds of adverse circumstances that people face and your people are among them and we just ask you Lord to bless your church today uh, each person wherever they are we thank you that your word tells us that the Lord knows those who are his and not merely do you have information about them but you know in a practical way because you are present with them by your Holy Spirit and therefore Lord we pray that you would help them encourage them and strengthen them today especially those who are being persecuted for the faith that you would remember them Lord bless uh, our nation we live in difficult times and we pray for our government so you would give them wisdom as they rule us uh, help them with all the decisions they have to make we pray Lord that you would um, just uh, work through them for the betterment of people's lives but we pray too that they would remember that righteousness exalts a nation Lord so we pray that you would um, uh, come in grace and help them as they make their decisions and plans especially as we seem to be entering into a year where there's a general election coming and we just ask Lord that you would oversee the whole uh, process. Lord, we pray that uh, you would remember um, the various congregations in our denomination today and help each one according to their circumstances and that uh, all of them would know your blessing. Uh, we give you thanks, Lord, for the various ways you've been doing that and we just pray that will continue. Remember <coughs> the congregation has here, Lord, and help us as we face our own situation and we ask you Lord to remember uh, each person uh, connected to the congregation and also we pray for uh, the, the Renex that you would remember them as well and we just ask you Lord that you would uh, be here Lord guide and help we pray so uh, remember us in our service we look to you the living God the God of all grace, the God of all comfort, the God who can uh, do things through us and for us, and we pray that we be seen that taking place. So remember us, Lord, we ask, and go with us in our service. For Christ's sake, amen. I want to say something to the <coughs> children just now. Um, uh, I don't know if um, you put things up on your wall. Um, I used to put things up on my wall, but it was so long ago I can't even remember what I put on the wall. But um, I was reading something uh, about a, a boy that grew up in a free church manse um, last century. And I'm sure like like you, um, he put up on his wall things that would interest him. And you may wonder uh, what he put up on his wall. Well, what he put up on his wall was a map of Africa. Uh, when he lived in, in the 19th century and people were starting to discover Africa. And, um, but of course they didn't have any uh, TVs or that back then so people didn't really know what Africa was like but this little boy he put his um. a map of Africa on the wall and I don't know what you would think if you woke up every day and you saw facing you a map of Africa but this is what this boy, little boy did and you know why he did that although he was only a young boy about eight I think when he put it up on the wall uh, Africa was not just on the wall Africa was in his heart and he was only eight years old 
and he had determined already even though he was only eight that when he grew up he would go to be a missionary in Africa and he did do that and uh, today I don't even read missionary stories but I used to get them as Sunday school prizes a long time ago and one of them was about this man because he was known as Mackay of Uganda and but that's where it all started and he's an eight-year-old boy he put a map of Africa on his wall and he put it there because he determined when he was older to bring the gospel to Africa and he did so that's and you can read about him his sister wrote a book about him and others did as well but I hope what's on your wall indicates what's in your heart because that's that's very important and uh, so that's that boy remember him we'll sing again this time from Psalm 68 at verse 13 to 18 Though ye have lying among the pots, like doves ye shall appear, whose wings with silver and with gold, whose feathers covered are. Verses 13 to 18.
you can read in the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. <coughs> By grace you have been saved, and raised us up <coughs> with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And may God bless that reading. We'll now sing Psalm 87 from the Scottish Psalter. <coughs> Upon the hills of holiness he is foundation sets. God more than Jacob's dwellings all delights in Zion's gates. The whole psalm.
can turn back to the um, chapter we read there, Ephesians chapter 2. And I would like us to think about verses 17 and 18. And he (coughs) came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit uh, to the Father. Some some commentators are of the opinion that in the book of Ephesians, (coughs) Paul um, uh, states his theological insights. And of course he had so many that he has to... um, be brief as he describes each of them. The language style that he has in this letter it's almost as if he's piling one statement on top of another. And sometimes as we read it I'm sure we we find our minds getting a bit um, well we're kind of losing the, the thread of it all because uh, he puts so much, as it were, into every sentence. It's often been pointed out, for example, that in chapter 1, verses 3 to uh, 14, in the language that Paul wrote, it's just one long sentence. And if we try to have a sentence in which there's 12 verses we would um, be a bit lost at the end if someone asked us well, what was said in the middle and that kind of um, experience occurs quite often when we are reading uh, this letter I think it does anyway and <coughs> part of, this, part of the, one of the outcomes of that kind of experience is that we're in danger of actually picking, of missing out on some of the astonishing things that Paul says. Because in almost every sentence there are several incredible things. And even as we look at our text I mean I don't know what questions came into your mind when I repeated them a minute ago but who's the he in verse 17 and he came and how did he preach when he arrived and who are those who are far off and who are those who are near and what does it mean to have access access to where why is it given and these are just uh, some of the things that um, Paul says in these verses and of course um, verse 17 since it begins with the word and it's linked to what was said before in the previous verses so there's um, quite a lot can be said about what Paul says here in, in this letter and it's intriguing at least to me it is anyway at the end of the book he, he says about the man who carried the letter he says Tychicus chapter 6 and verse um, 21 he says Tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything so I think it would be quite interesting to be in Ephesus the first time this letter arrived 
and there's Tychicus having to stand up and just explain what Paul meant and the various things he said in his letter but anyway Ephesus well it was a very large city in the ancient world it was also a very dark city uh, and Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world uh, the temple to Diana or to Artemis and it was uh, therefore a center of uh, paganism and other things connected to that if there was one place I suppose somebody in Israel who was singing Psalm 67 and if they if say by the time of um, of Jesus and the beginning of the church and they were singing Psalm 67 and if they were singing it intelligently they would be thinking about the places they've got in mind and as they're singing about the, the gospel going into all the world I wonder how many of them would have thought well this is Ephesus being described will the gospel really thrive in Ephesus this place of pagan worship place that was full of philosophers and all their ingenious suggestions about the meaning of life and none of which have brought any security or certainty into the lives of people as they gazed out into the future apparently if you live to be 40 in the first century you were doing well so imagine if you're in your late 30s and you know that the end of life is approaching what is there to look forward to and even as you face life day by day there's no there's very little remedies for illnesses things that we take for granted they didn't have what kind of life did they have they were in spiritual darkness there was lots of uncertainty about how much they would live for and life was marked by a profound sadness they were groping for answers but no one had them until the gospel came to Ephesus of course the same thing is true of anywhere else listen to it circumstances might change and as we live in our sophisticated 21st century it's easy for us to look back and and just see how much progress has been made but the reality I think is that people still have the same questions what is life all about why are we here what's the point of our existence why do all these outward trappings not give me soul satisfaction there's a whole range of questions that people ask about that and of course our world while it might be a lot more sophisticated and while well, all these modern inventions connected to technology and so on what about the sense of emptiness that just dominates people's lives the sense of frustration hopelessness dread 
what's going to happen to me when my life comes to an end. I can face death stoically. That's only while I am dying. What's after it? People ask all these questions, don't they? Darkness. As Isaiah said, when Jesus would be born, there would be great darkness. He wasn't talking, of course, as we know about literal darkness. He was just talking about the state that people would be in. And they've always been in. Despite whatever improvements are made. So, into this dark world of Ephesus, we're told there in verse 17, the gospel came. And I want us to think about three things today briefly. Um, the coming of the gospel, and then secondly, the crux of the gospel, and then thirdly, a consequence of the gospel. Because these three things are in the two verses, at least, at least these three things are in the two verses I read. The coming of the gospel, the crux of the gospel, and a consequence of the gospel. And he came and preached the coming of the gospel. Well, it is an interesting question to ask, isn't it? I don't know if you ask it. How did the gospel first come to our locality? Was it Columba and the Celtic church that took it here? Way back in around 500 AD? Or was it here before then? Some books suggest that it was. And uh, indeed, Paul, writing to the Colossians, says to the Colossians, it's quite an ex- I think it's the Colossians, but it's quite an extraordinary statement he makes. He says, the gospel's been preached in the whole world. And he's writing that in the AD 60s, which is about 30 years after the death of Jesus. And I assume he means the, the known world because they didn't know about America and these places back then but he's, um, I think he's talking about the world of the Roman Empire and the area surrounding it and if he is speaking about that then he is including our part of the world but the gospel has been preached in the whole world but anyway it is interesting to ask well I find it interesting anyway how did the gospel come somewhere and why is it successful somewhere and it goes to other places and it doesn't have the same success why is that and uh, no doubt we can come up with uh, lots of reasons about that but why was the gospel successful in Ephesus this place of this centre of paganism And the answer we have there is who the preacher was. Now in a literal sense the preacher was Paul and his friends. And we can read about that in the book of Acts. So he and initially he and Priscilla and Aquila went to Ephesus. And then a couple of years later he went back and the church started there in Ephesus. But Paul by himself despite all his great gifts and all the abilities he had to assess situations Paul in himself didn't have any power at all to make the gospel successful why was the gospel successful in Ephesus well as we can read in verse 17 he came who's the he I'll go back to the previous previous um, verses and we discover that the, the, the he is Jesus. That Jesus came and and preached this gospel. It goes back to verse 14. 
but in a literal sense Jesus had never been to Ephesus as far as we know going by the Gospels Jesus only went outside the borders of Israel once or twice in his life and he certainly had never gone to Ephesus but here he is after his ascension and we sang about that in uh, Psalm 68 after his ascension up to heaven he gave gifts to men and Paul quotes that verse in Ephesians and he Jesus from heaven he had told his disciples that the first thing he would do when he returned to heaven was he would send the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who is just like him the other comforter he would come as the spirit of Jesus so it would just be as if Jesus himself was there and he would be he would just go with the, dis the disciples as he promised them I am with you all the days every day so when Paul and his friends got to Ephesus Jesus was with them by the spirit and he came and spoke with incredible power and many were converted we can read about some of them in the New Testament but many of them were converted and their lives were transformed and their, they, they began to see meaning in their lives and we'll come back to that later on but that's the key isn't it why is the gospel successful there's only one reason anywhere when it's successful and that, that reason is that Jesus is there he alone gets all the glory it's not found in anything else or in anyone else Jesus alone and there in Ephesus in the most unlikeliest of places a church was formed made up of these former pagan worshippers and others it's good to know that isn't it because in the midst of our complex world in the midst of all the range of viewpoints that stretch out in front of us at every turn and if we look at them we've got a real sense of being overwhelmed but it's not to them we should look because no matter how strong they might seem to be and how weak and ineffective we may seem to be in comparison what we need is for Jesus to come and preach isn't it we need Jesus to come and preach to preach through us and to preach to us and when he does that we'll see the same effects anywhere even as he saw them in Ephesus what kind of people were the, was the gospel brought to in Ephesus well we could describe them in all kinds of ways I'm sure there would be slaves and freemen there would be rich and poor there would be male and female and so on but Paul doesn't describe them in that way instead he describes them as two different groups those who are far off and those who are near though those who are far off of course that's Gentiles and those who are near that's Jews I mean, Paul's not speaking about geographical distances there he's just talking about their spiritual realities but the good thing about them is that the Gentiles were not too far off that they couldn't be reached by Jesus and the Jews they weren't near enough even though they were near in a certain sense and that God had um, given them all the various blessings in, during Old Testament times 
they were in a certain sense closer than the Gentiles were but they weren't near enough so the Gentiles were not too far off and the Jews were not near enough so which means that um, they were still in the same predicament neither of them were in touch with God the Gentiles obviously by their um, behavior showed they were not in touch with God but neither were the Jews in touch with God they were, afar, they were near but not near enough and they needed the gospel they were alienated from God both of them Jews and Gentiles they were not in touch with the living God they all had their theories about God the Gentiles had their pagan notions and the Jews had their ideas about God as well and sadly they had departed from much of what the Bible the Old Testament said but they were out of touch with God no connection to him they were strangers to him they were not at peace with God because of their sins they had they were in darkness and that's where people are today and we have to remind ourselves of that some of them might seem far away but they're not too far away and some of them might seem close but they're not close enough so we need the same message as Jesus brought to Ephesus and what was the crux of his message well we're told that there in verse 17 he came and preached peace I don't know what ideas come into our minds when we think of the word peace <coughs> normally and this is just how I sort of react them I could be wrong on this particular point but normally I think when people speak about peace they just talk about the absence of trouble whatever that trouble might be they just talk when they, when they say there's no peace or, whether, or whether, when they're talking about peace they're just talking about the absence of trouble but that's not what the Bible means when it talks about peace peace in the Bible is not a, a kind of neutral thing peace in the Bible means that you move from a one state that's a state of alienation state of alienation from God you move from one state into another state and that, that other state is being reconciled with God and it's in the state of alienation God does nothing for you spiritually in the state of reconciliation God brings peace constantly so that's the, that's the message of the gospel we need peace with God that's whether we're Jews or Gentiles we have departed from God we don't live for God his law which is written in our hearts we ignore it we disobey him in thought, word and deed as our catechism tells us and we're, we're just disconnected from God by nature and it's not enough for us to somehow rather get rid of these negative things in our lives and somehow get into a because we can't do it you can't get into a state where you're you get rid of the negative things but don't have the positive things you have to move from one state into another and how are we going to do that what did Jesus preach about when he came and preached peace well I think he came and preached about himself that's his message Jesus is the only person who can, who can actually preach about himself if you or I were to 
promote ourselves as the answer to humanity's needs, people will treat us with the contempt it desire. But Jesus, he just comes and preaches about himself. I mean, he is the answer. And he is the message. And I'm sure we all know what it is. We've heard it numerous times. How he, through his life, lived a perfect life. And he, through his death, opened up the way for us to be restored to God. When you and I get to the judgment seat. And we will get to the judgment seat. But when you and I get to the judgment seat, God will ask us basically two things. He'll just ask us, first one question, where's your perfect life? Because that's the only way you'll get into heaven. A perfect life. Where is your perfect life? God will answer us one question he'll ask us. And at the same time, because we're sinners, he'll ask us, have you paid the penalty for your sins? And the answer to both these questions is that we can't do either of them. We can't live a perfect life because we're born in sin. And we sin because of Adam's sin. But we don't blame Adam for our sin. Because if we'd been there, we'd have done the same thing. But we have the... We can't live a perfect life. It's no, no matter how hard we try. Neither can we pay for the sins we've committed. And our sins are numerous. It doesn't matter if we're far off like the Gentiles were, or near as the Jews were. If we can't live a perfect life, and if we can't pay the penalty for our sins... There's no way for us to get into heaven by ourselves. But the the astonishing thing is that Jesus paid the penalty. And he lived the perfect life. And when a sinner, whether he's a pagan Gentile or a religious Jew, when that sinner believes in Jesus, Jesus' perfect life is reckoned to his account. Not becomes his standing before God. As perfect as Jesus is. At the same time, the price that Jesus paid on the cross deals with our sins. Great exchange. Wonderful exchange. As far as God sees us, if we believe in Jesus, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Perfect. Permanent. And Jesus preaches himself. And that's what he does. Whatever he preaches. He preaches about himself. He tells us what he has done in the past. And he'll also tell us some of the consequences of the gospel. So the gospel came and the crux of it was to make peace. Peace between Jew and Gentile at one level. But at a more important level, peace between them and God. And I suppose the question we have to ask ourselves isn't this an obvious question. Are we at peace with God? I mean that is the real question most important question that all of us have to ask are we at peace with God how would we know well it's by faith obviously but the consequence that described in verse 18 may help us to appreciate how we can grasp we are converted Paul says that through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
Well, it's for, this verse is describing every Christian because it's both. We both. And the both there is referring to Gentiles and Jews who have believed. So, it's a normal Christian experience. And then he says it's a continual blessing because it's a present tense verb. For through him we both have. Right now. If we're Christians, we have this. And it's not whatever the thing we have is, it's not speculative, but it's certain. We have this continually, every day of the week, every hour of the day, every minute of every hour. We have it. It's a consequence of being at peace with God. In a certain sense, it kind of describes what peace, of God, what peace with God is. We have access. Sometimes this verse will be used to describe prayer. And no doubt prayer is part of it. But I don't think it is what Paul is saying. He doesn't say he isn't saying that because the gospel has been blessed to us, uh, we can pray now and again. I don't think that's what he's saying. He is saying that we have been moved somewhere. We have been given access into our new world. He's got the same idea in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 where he says Since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand So this access is into a new world And it's a new world in which we are got permanent contact with the Trinity because it's through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So we have, we have come to know God. We know Jesus, we know the Spirit, and we know the Father. Before this happened, they were strangers to God. Alienated from him never in contact with them after the gospel comes and after they believed it they are in contact with them they're in his presence the idea behind the word access here is from the ancient custom of how somebody would get a meeting with a king or a governor or whatever and the there would be somebody appointed by the ruler to allow people into his presence. And if this appointed person allowed somebody in, nobody could put that person out, no matter what that person had done. He may have offended the ruler, but if this appointed person took this offender in to the ruler's presence, not even the ruler could put him out. And the meaning is, I think, obvious. God is the ruler. God the Father is the ruler. Jesus is the appointed person. And if somebody applies to Jesus to go into the Father's presence, Jesus takes him in. And even although the person applying for, to go into the presence has offended the Father numerous times, he can't be put out. Because the appointed go-between, Jesus, has brought him in. 
And when we believe in Jesus, although we have sinned against the Father numerous times, so many we can't possibly count, because Jesus is the one who takes us in and gives to us his righteousness, we can never be put out. Now, in literal terms, it wasn't possible for a nursery ruler to have people coming to him simultaneously. They had to come one at a time. And nor was it possible for all the ones who wanted to see him to remain in his presence because his palace wasn't big enough. But when Jesus brings us in, he can bring in millions simultaneously. And the place that he brings to is big enough for all of them to be there forever. So we are brought in by Jesus. And we're brought into this new world. We've given access. There's no mention in the verse that we go out. We just go in and we stay there. And we're in the presence of God forever. So when we get up in the morning, we talk to the Father. When we're going through the day, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. And through it all, we're wearing the righteousness of Jesus. And that never changes. That's life. That's life for a Christian. Life in the presence of God. The gospel brings us great blessing to us. We're no longer in the place of death. But we're in the place of life. We're no longer in the world where there's no hope. But we've been brought into the environment of hope. That we look ahead to the glory of God. Everything has changed. We've been taken from the outside into the inside. And while we're by no means perfect, here we are. The great transformation. Someone says to us, Where do you live? And you'll say, well, I live in Scotland, or America, or wherever it is we come from. Because they ask us as a Christian, where do you live? The answer to that question is, we live in a new world. If someone says to us, with whom do you live? The answer is, we live with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Incredible, isn't it? The Gospel has brought us from being strangers to God to being the children of God. We live with God every day and is that not the proof that we are at peace with him that we he and us we just interact and even when we sin we just we tell him about it and he forgives us he guides us he speaks to us in his word we have fellowship with him. The fruit of the Spirit is seen in our lives. Great transformation. And it's all because Jesus came and preached peace. So we have to ask ourselves today, don't we? Have we heard the gospel? I don't mean do we know its contents. But have we heard it? And have we entered into the new world? 
the world of grace where life is different and where the, the Holy Spirit takes and gives to us the peace of God shed abroad in our hearts that is the consequence of the gospel hope all of us have it the gospel has come to us and we know what the crux of it is peace with God but we have entered into a new world a world where we know God not as, well, as much as we will know him in the world to come but where we know his grace and reality may that be the case shall we pray Lord we give you thanks that you were the peacemaker you made peace on the cross you made peace in Ephesus and you've made peace wherever a sinner has believed in Christ we thank you Lord for your peace the peace that passes all understanding the peace that is a foretaste of the world to come the peace that is something in our souls that reminds us and reveals to us the beauty of the world to come. Help us, Lord, to have that peace within us, the peace that comes from knowing Christ. Grant it, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 72 and sing Psalms and we'll sing verses 1 to 7. Endow the King with justice, Lord, the royal Son with righteousness, your people, your afflicted ones, he'll judge with truth and uprightness. Verses 1 to 7. May the grace 